Good morning, everybody. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. I think I made this joke last year. It's also the, the final round of the Waste Management Open for the PGA Tour. I'm like tour, so I got to, I'm T-bowing them both. I really like golf. Anyway, I don't know who you guys are rooting for. I'm not sure that I really care. I'm kind of leaning towards the Falcons, but, you know, God's will be done. I have no idea what that means. Um, it is really, really, really good to be with you guys. We are in um, the book of Galatians. I was thinking, um, you may have noticed in the book of Galatians so far, we've been there since uh, November, about the early part of November we started Galatians. And in this pursuit that Paul, Paul's in this deep pursuit of the Galatians uh, for truth and for liberty and freedom that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so Paul pursues them just like God has been pursuing us ever since we sinned back in the Garden of Eden. It's just such a beautiful picture to see Paul in his letter uh, continuing to pursue with truth so that we could live according to that truth. It's just a picture of beauty. My name is Mark. It is good to be here with you guys. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Um, yeah, thanks for being here. love doing this with you. Uh, a friendly reminder, Tuesday night, men's study uh, upstairs in, in, in room 210 from 7 to 8.30. So men, if you can make it. We'd love to have you um, studying the life or looking at the life of Moses. So let me open with this. This is a quote by uh, C.S. Lewis. It's really, it's, uh, I'm going to go slow. This is really heavy, really pointed. Um, I think you'll enjoy it. He says, the right direction leads not only to peace, but to knowledge. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left within him. When a man's getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he's not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's just fine. Isn't this true? This is common sense, he says. You understand sleep when you're awake, not while you're sleeping. You can understand the nature of drunkenness when you are sober, not when you are drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. As we continue to understand and, and, and head towards righteousness as, as, as the truth of God word, God's Word guides us, we understand more and more our depravity and we understand more and more our need for a Savior. Whereas when we don't do that, we are completely out of touch with our own depravity and we don't even see our own faults and foibles and failures. It's really a dangerous place to go. And so I just love that quote from C.S. Lewis. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We are in verses 21 through 31. Let's read those together. Paul writes, Tell me, you who want to be under the law or do things by the flesh instead of by faith, to earn your way to heaven. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to what that law actually says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman or bondwoman and one by a free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and the son by the free woman through the promise or through faith. This is allegorically speaking, for these women are two different covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. 
Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present day Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. We are meant to be free through Christ. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear, referring to Sarah. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted, which was Ishmael, was born according to the flesh through Hagar, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, which is Isaac through Sarah. And so it is now also that our flesh persecutes our spirit. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. So Paul, there's a lot there, right? Such a great story. Such a great story. So Paul masterfully turns to a scriptural illustration to, co- to conclude his defense of this thing that we call justification by faith. By putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified. We have right standing with God as opposed to our flesh, which does not lead to righteousness or a right standing with God. So he turns to an Old Testament story about Abraham to again declare the differences between the Mosaic law and God's grace. The difference between our works and our faith. That one leads us to God and the other one does not. Since these false teachers appealed to the law, Paul brilliantly uses the law because the law itself proves that salvation does not come from the law. And so he goes to this familiar story of Ishmael and Isaac, which is found in Genesis 16 through 21, to reveal some basic truths about the Christian's relationship to the law of Moses. The story also provided an opportunity for Paul to announce to the Galatians that he's writing to that they need to cast out the legalizers, these false teachers, that crept in. And that's what verse 30 of Galatians 4 says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Because the reality is, just like in the churches in Galatia, something nasty crept into the church. Something nasty, some false teachings crept into their lives. And it's true in life, right, that sometimes things creep in, don't they? Sometimes things creep into our lives, don't they? And what must we do? We must cast them out immediately. Don't mess with those things that creep in. They will lead to destruction things creep into our lives. And as Paul wrote to the Galatians, and so he's, he's writing to us, when those things creep in that steal from truth, we must cast those things out. What do you, church, what do you need to cast out of your life right now? I venture to say that many of us here know of something that we need to cast out of our life right now because it's bringing destruction to our life. What damage is being caused by this thing that needs to be cast out? And that's how Paul's writing. Damage is being done. Cast out these false teachers. Who or what is stopping you from casting this stuff out? Don't let it stop you. Cast it out. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have been pursuing us and that you continue to pursue us and that you're patient and kind and loving and gentle towards us. 
So, Lord, that we would pursue truth and that we would, uh, those things that we have allowed to, be, to creep into our lives, Lord, that we would disperse those out of our lives and we would look to you. We would look to your truth, to the freedom that comes only by walking in truth. Lord, we thank you that you are always working. Thank you that you work in this church. Thank you, Lord, that we can see how you're working around the globe through some of these missionaries that we are privileged to partner with. God, we pray that you would have your way with us this morning. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So let me give you the outline. So the first couple of verses, we're going to talk, where Paul writes, we're going to explore uh, what was written. He's going to refer back to the law. He's going to refer back to, to Abraham uh, from the book of Genesis. So we're going, to, we're going to be exploring the written. And then we're going to be explaining the, the two women, Sarah and um, Hagar, and, the, and their two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And then we're going to talk about experiencing the wealth of what it means to be a follower or an heir and to be in a good standing, the right relationship with God because of what Christ did for us. Amen? So, the first thing we've got to do in order to do this in Galatians 4 is we've got to get through Genesis 12 through 21. Okay? So we're going to do that. We're going to read Genesis 12 through 21 really quick. All right? We're going to do it on the screen. I'm going to help you. All right, so let's start with this. Genesis 12 through 21. At age 75, Abraham is called by God to go to Canaan. And God promises him many descendants, but there's a problem. Sarah can't have kids. Hmm. Isn't it so funny how God does that? Hey, I want, I want you to have many descendants, but I can't have kids. God's like, yeah, don't worry about the details. Interesting. Sarah's barren. God was waiting, right? She's already barren. But he's waiting until both of them were nearly dead, as good as dead, before he would perform the miracle of sending them a son. Oh, God's got a sense of humor. At age 85, 10 years later, the promised son is still not here. Hmm. Does that ever sound like some of the things God's done in your life where you feel like he's led you to something, he's telling you something, he's revealing something to you, and yet 10 years later it still hasn't happened. So the promised son's not here and Sarah becomes impatient. Boy, unlike us, right? And so she and Abraham, or she has Abraham marry Hagar, her maid, to have a son by her. And though it was legal, it was outside of the will of God. So at age 86, Hagar gets pregnant and Sarah becomes jealous. Ishmael is born to Hagar. Sarah throws Hagar out, but the Lord intervenes, sends Hagar back, and promises to take care of Hagar and her son. At age 99, 24 years later, God speaks to Abraham and promises again that he will have a son by Sarah and says to call his name Isaac. And later, God appears and reaffirms the same promise to Sarah as well. At age 100, Abraham's son Isaac, which his name means laughter, is finally born. 25 years later after the promise was made. And the arrival of Isaac creates a little bit of a problem at home. Ishmael now has a rival. For 14 years, Ishmael had been his only father's, his father's only son. And how will he respond to the presence of a rival in Isaac? At age 103, it was customary for the Jews to wean their children about the age of three and to make a big deal about it. So at the feast, Ishmael started to mock or persecute or attack Isaac and create trouble in the home. And the only solution is that Hagar and her son, they got to go. And so with a broken heart, Abraham obeys the Lord and sends away his son. So, we just banged out Genesis 12 through 21. You guys are awesome. More than a tale of a family problem, beneath the surface of this story communicates some tremendous spiritual realities for you and I. All right? So, our first stanza, exploring the written. Let's reread verses 21 and 22. Verse 21 says, Tell me, you who want to be under law, 
do you not listen to what the law actually says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. And what a great way to start. What a great question to ask. Since you want to live under the law, do you actually know what the law says? Great question. And so here's my thought. Track with me if you will. I'll say it a couple times. I think it's a profound thought. (laughs) We only want to be under the law or anything that is other than Christ. Right? We only want to be under the law for reasons other than the actual law. Let me read the verse again. Verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So they want to be under the law, but they don't even know what the law says, so they must want to be under the law for reasons other than what the law says. What's my point? We've got to be so careful of the things that we want. We have to be hyper aware that sometimes we want things that are not good. And you talk to people, as I've talked to people, or people have talked to me in things that I'm immature in my thinking, it's like, why do I want those things? And it's for a lot of unhealthy reasons. Because if we actually knew why we wanted those things, we wouldn't really want those things, but we want those things because we shouldn't have those things, because they're bad for us, because there is a good and there is an evil, and so we want things in our flesh. But God says no. And so we have to be aware that sometimes we just want things that aren't good for us. And so we have to confess that to God. We have to drop to our knees and say, Lord, I want some things that are just not good for me. Please, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Surround me with your truth and your people. And and you drop to your knees to pray to say, Lord, purge me from these things that I want that are not good for me. Too many of us want some things that just aren't good for us. Okay. So we can look at this and say, yeah, you know, verse 21, what a bunch of dummies. Why would they want to be under the law if they actually knew what the law meant? Like, that's a bad deal. And so we think, yeah, Paul, you should be writing that. Well, I'm going to turn the tables a little bit, okay? Lest you and I be too quick to point a finger or to cast judgment. We should also be held to the same challenge, but in a more positive way. Let me rephrase verse 21. Tell me, church, Christian, you who want to be under faith and under grace, do you not listen to what faith and grace say? You, you, You get what I'm saying? Right? We need to ask ourselves the same question. If we read that and say, yeah, what's wrong with those people? Then God would say, okay, we're going to flip that around. We're going to do a little test on you. If you say that you live by faith and you live by grace, do you know what that looks like? Do you live your lives that way? Pretty heavy question, isn't it? We're so quick to judge. God says, okay, you're not, you're not under the law, but you claim to be followers of mine, to be Christians to be believers, to be men and women of faith. So if you say that you live under faith and under grace, do you actually listen to what a life of faith and a life of grace looks like? And are you living that kind of life? It's a heavy question, isn't it? Isn't it a great question? Because if we did, it would change our lives, as it has many of you, many of us. Paul wanted to stop them from doing things in their flesh, from legalism, and turn them back to grace. His question addresses their desire or their want, but it also shows that they lacked some understanding of what those wants and desires were, that they were not good. And so we have to be prepared for the desires that appear to be fine, like the law, which had its roots in God. 
And so sometimes we fool ourselves because of our wants and our desires. And we think, oh, I think this is of God. And so our wants go after that. We have to be so careful to filter everything, every thought. Take every thought captive, Scripture says, to make sure that our wants are not our wants, but the Lord's. And so Paul, I love what Paul does. You know, Paul's, he's deep into this letter and he's still going after them. And you think that Paul would be frustrated and say, you know what, forget it. But Paul doesn't write them off. He points them to what was written. He doesn't write them off. He points them to what was written. He points them to the truth of God's word. We're so quick to write one another off. Sometimes we write ourselves off when things are tough. But God doesn't write us off. Paul doesn't write them off. He points us to what's written. Because you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So I love that about Paul. And so by turning to Abraham, which is found in Genesis, which is part of the law, Paul was appealing to the founder of the Jewish nation. As John the Baptist did, as Jesus did, Paul now does, declaring that physical descent from Abraham is not what leads to spiritual blessing. We're not blessed. We're not Christians because we're born in North America. We're not Christians because we live in Orange County. We're not Christians because we walked in this building. We're Christians because we put our hope and our faith and everything that we know and everything that we love is in Jesus Christ. That's what makes us children of Abraham because he is the father of faith. Turn to John 8, 37 through 39. John 8, a little to your left. John 8, 37 through 39. Jesus himself says to some religious leaders, people that lived in the flesh and not by faith, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you because the things that you want are more important than my word. I speak the things which I have seen with my Father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your Father, which later on he says is the devil. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our Father. And Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, then do the deeds of Abraham. Be men and women of faith by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Galatians needed to consider in this story, well, that's what Paul's pointing to, the Galatians needed to consider which of Abraham's sons they were most like. That's really what the story's saying. So you have Ishmael, born of Hagar, a slave woman. And so it's a physical birth that makes us sinners because Scripture tell us, tells us, for we are all sinners. And all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. So yet Ishmael represents the slave woman, that we are slaves to sin. It's a physical birth that points to our being slaves to sin. But Isaac was born of Sarah, who is a free woman. A spiritual birth that makes us saints and not sinners. And so which one are we? Our second stanza, explaining the women, verses 23 through 27. Go back to Galatians 4. 23 through 27. But the son by the bondwoman, Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. And the son by the free woman, Sarah, which is Isaac, was through a promise. And this is allegorically speaking, for these women represent two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, bearing children who are to be slaves. 
She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And that's where we're supposed to be living in freedom. That's how we're supposed to be born into that mother. For it is written about Sarah, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, You who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. So, what these two women represent is this. Hagar represents the law. Sarah represents what? Grace, the promise, faith. That's right. Ishmael represents the flesh. Isaac represents the spirit. And so Paul shows us that Hagar, the law, no longer has power over us as Christians who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And it was a temporary thing, which we'll talk about in a second. First, Hagar was Abraham's second wife. Hagar was Abraham's second wife. Like Hagar, the law was added. That's what Galatians 3.19 tells us, that the law was added. Just like Hagar was added to Abraham, he was already married. Hagar's function was temporary, and then she moved off the scene that we just read in that Genesis 12-21. through 21, Just as the law was temporary and then taken away. Look in Galatians 3, verse 24 and 25. Galatians 3, 24 and 25. Therefore, the law has become our tutor. That word tutor means guardian or servant. So the law is a servant to lead us. That's what the servant's there for, to lead us to Christ. So that we may be justified, be in right standing with God by faith in Christ. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the law, or under a tutor, or under a servant. Second thing is, Hagar was a slave. Hagar was a servant, as we know. And so even though she was married to Abraham, she was still a servant. Sarah was not. Sarah was a free woman. Her position was one of liberty, the liberty that we experience by living through the promise and the faith of Jesus Christ. Like Hagar, the law was given as a servant, as we just read. To do what? To reveal what? To reveal sin. The law was given to us as a servant to show us that we need Christ and we need Him desperately. That our flesh will always fail. Check out Romans 3.20. Romans 3.20 says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh... No body, no person will ever be justified in the sight of God. For through the law comes the knowledge it served us to give us the knowledge of our sin and to point us to our desperate need of a Savior. And that's what Galatians 3, look at Galatians 3, 23 and 24. Look at what that says. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed in Christ. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Hmm. Like Hagar, the law was never meant to be our mother. We weren't meant to be born into slavery. From the very beginning, God created us to be born into freedom, into liberty. And so He sent Christ to make that happen because we broke that relationship with God back in the Garden of Eden by sinning. The third thing is Hagar wasn't meant to have children. 
She was not meant to bear a child for Abraham. This was outside of God's will, and it was due to Sarah and Abraham's unbelief and impatience. And I kind of referenced that earlier when I was telling that story. Oftentimes, right, we have, real, we have a real sense of clarity for what God wants for our lives. Just like he told Abraham at the age of 75, you're going to have many descendants. It's like, okay, I got it. We're going to be parents to multitudes. And then 25 years goes by. Abraham and Sarah were very clear on what God wanted for their lives. And many of us get really clear on what God wants for our lives. I think too often we say, what's God's will for my life? Well, okay, here. Okay. No, but what's God's will for my life? I think we don't wrestle so much with God's will for our life as much as we wrestle with how we execute, as much as we wrestle with how impatient we are. And so then we help God because apparently his itinerary is too packed to get to us. Right? For Abraham to say, hey, God, you know, I was 75 when we had that last chat. I'm now, you know, pushing 100. Like, what's the deal? Apparently, you're really, really busy, so I'm going to take it upon myself, being a godly man, being a godly woman, and I'm going to help God out. <laughs> right? Like, what? What's wrong with us? And so I don't think so much that we really wrestle with the will of God. I think we just hate how he executes. And I think that's our problem. And we get into a lot of danger when we don't trust Him, when we don't wait for His perfect will to be manifested in the right time, the right day, the right way. That is the hardest thing. It's the thing that I, probably the thing that I wrestle with most is trusting God the way He wants me to trust Him. I so when I get preachy like that, I lose my place. So I have to look down and say, I have no idea where I was, but I'm pretty excited about it. I've never been more happy about being lost than I am right now. I'm on page 10. I know that means nothing to you, but I'm happy to know I found my place. I do like breadcrumbs. Check it out. Raise your hand if you're interested in life. I want to live forever. I want to have, if there's a heaven and a hell, I want to have life. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you want to be righteous, because you won't have life if you're not righteous. Okay. Raise your hand if you want to have the Spirit of God inside of you, because the Spirit of God tells us that we belong to Him. Raise your hand. Okay. Raise your hand if you want to have an inheritance, which means I want all that God has for me, because there's an eternity, and I want part of that. Okay. So you want life, you want righteousness, you want His Spirit, and you want an inheritance. Well, Galatians tells us you can never have that in the law. You can never have that by legalism. You cannot work your way towards that. It's a gift from Him. Check it out. Go to Galatians 3, verse 21. We're going to hit the life part and the righteousness part. Galatians 3, 21. Is the law contrary to God's promises? Heck no. For if the law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness, there's life, and now righteousness would indeed have been based on the law, but it's not. There's no life and there's no righteousness outside of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Your flesh can never attain life and righteousness. Let's look at the Spirit in Galatians 3, verse 2. This is the only thing. It's a rhetorical question, Paul says. I want to find out, did you receive the Spirit by the works? No. Or by hearing with faith? Yes. They, they received, when, when, when they placed their faith, that's when the Spirit came, when they were people of faith, never from the law. And then lastly, the inheritance in Galatians 3, verse 18. For if the inheritance is based on the law, which it's not, it is no longer based on a promise, which it is, but God granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. So if you have any aspirations of having life, 
of having right standing before God, of having God's Spirit live within you and having an inheritance after we breathe our last, then it's not found in your flesh. It's only found in, in, in the faith of, uh, by our faith in Jesus Christ, by His flesh. Ishmael was born <laughs> in an ordinary way. It's like, oh, okay. Boring. Requiring no miracle or promise of God. None. None whatsoever. Isaac was born as a result of a promise and a miracle as we just saw in the story. Abraham and Sarah were beyond the age of childbearing. Go to Romans 4. Oh my goodness, I love this. Romans 4. God's stories are so much more compelling than anything we will ever experience. Romans 4, 18 through 25. You ever just, sometimes you just gloss over words. Check this out, church. In hope against hope is how it starts. In hope against hope. What that means is, Karen, I want you to have hope where there's no hope. In hope against hope. Excuse me? How is that possible to have hope where no hope exists? That's the God we serve. That we can have hope where there's no hope. When people perhaps mock and laugh at us and we used to say, I'm going to have hope against hope. What a great start. In hope against hope, Abraham believed. Do we? Is that how we live our lives? Do we engage God in such a way where in hope against hope we can have belief? So that what? So that He might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. As God said, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith. Hmm, sometimes we become weak in faith, right? And so God's promising Him something in hope against hope and He responds without becoming weak in faith. That's what's possible when we understand God and we allow Him to have His way with us. Without becoming weak in faith, He contemplated His own body. He's like, I don't have a chance of having kids. It's now as good as dead since He's about 100. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, which had already been dead, and now it's 25 years later? Verse 20, Yet with respect to the promise of God, I know who made this promise, and I respect that. With respect to the promise of God, He did not waver in unbelief, but did what? He didn't just stay there like, hey, I'm good, but I'm not growing. No, He grew strong in faith and gave glory to God. Sometimes that seems impossible, I suppose. But it's not. With God, all things are possible. We can have faith like that. Verse 21, and being fully assured, church, that what God had promised, He's able. He's able also to perform. And to watch that happen, if we've ever watched that happen in our lives, it's just a thing of beauty. Just so, oh my goodness, yeah, what He promised, He's able to make happen. Of course, of course. Therefore, it was also credited to Him, to Abraham, as righteousness. But here's what's cool. Not only for his sake was it written and credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in the Lord who raised Jesus from the dead. 
He who was delivered over because of our sins and was raised so that we would have justification or right standing with God. And man, if that doesn't move you, I don't know what will. If you can't applaud God for that, then do not clap during the Super Bowl. I prohibit you. I don't know what that means. You get what I'm saying, right? Paul mentions two covenants in verse 24. Paul mentions two covenants in verse 24. The Mosaic Covenant, which is Mount Sinai, which is a a law that produced slaves to sin. And the second covenant is the Abrahamic Covenant, which is Mount Calvary where Jesus died. It's a grace which brought liberty and then produced slaves to righteousness. Turn to Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Romans 6. We were just in Romans 4, right? So Romans 6, 16 through 19. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone, this is the choice we make, church, when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death, that's Hagar, that's Ishmael, that's the flesh, or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm sorry, verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. Now, church, choose, present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. We're going to serve somebody. We can either serve our flesh or we can serve our faith. Paul also, in addition to the two covenants, he points to two Jerusalems. The present Jerusalem, he mentions, which is a city at that time that that Galatians has written. It was a city enslaved to Rome and in slavery to the law as he's writing. Jerusalem above is the heavenly city of the living God where we are free. We are meant to be free because of what God did in the heavenlies through Christ. Everything down here is going to lead us to death. It's only what God does from above. And so we're to live as people from above. Check out Philippians 3, 18 through 20. Philippians 3, a little bit to your right. Philippians 3, 18 through 20. We're either going to walk in our flesh or we're going to walk in the Spirit. Verse 18, for many walk or live, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their own appetite, the things that feel good to them, that make sense to them, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things, but we're not to do that, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've said it before and I'll keep saying it. We make too much of this place. We make too much of this world. We make too much of the things that happen down here and not enough of our heavenly citizenship. Our last stanza is experiencing the wealth, verses 28 through 31. Let's read those back in Galatians chapter 4, 28 through 31. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. 
But as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. Ishmael persecuting Isaac. So it is now also where our flesh comes after our spirit. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Paul compares a Christian's birth to that of Isaac. If we're a Christian, we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Our birth is like that of Isaac's. Isaac was born of God's power according to the Spirit. So we're wealthy in that regard because God's Spirit lives within us and it makes us powerful. So Isaac was born by God's power according to the Spirit, as verse 29 shows us. Turn to John 3, 3 through 7. John 3, 3 through 7. The story of Nicodemus having a conversation with Jesus. John 3, 3 through 7. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly I say to you, unless you are born again, unless a person is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, How is that going to happen? I can't re-enter my mother's womb. Verse 5, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is nothing but flesh. It will die. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Another thing that makes us wealthy in God, makes us wealthy by our faith. What, what does Isaac's name mean? Do you remember? Laughter. Isaac's arrival brought laughter. It brought joy. In the next chapter, Galatians 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, talks about the fruits of the Spirit. So the first one's mentioned is what? Love. What's the second one mentioned? Joy. That when we live by the Spirit, when we're born according to the Spirit, we have joy. We have a wealth of joy in our lives. Listen, I'll put it this way. If we don't have the Spirit, compared to somebody who does, think about it this way. Whereas circumstances, if we're not people of faith, whereas circumstances permeate our happiness, right? Whereas circumstances determine whether we're happy or not, outside of being people of faith, if we have joy, joy permeates our circumstances. You get the difference between being in the flesh and being in the spirit? Whereas circumstances permeate our happiness, joy permeates our circumstances. That we can have joy in any and all circumstances. Hmm. That's a pretty wealthy tool to have in our tool belt. And James talks about that in chapter 1. James 1, verses 2, 3, and 4. Consider it all joy, or pure joy, or nothing but joy, when you encounter, when, not if, when, you encounter various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may perfect and, and be complete, lacking in nothing. Raise your hand if you're perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Am I the only one? That's weird. God wants us to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, and He gives us the joy, the riches of joy that we can experience regardless of our circumstances. That's got to twist some people, right? Instead of our circumstances permeating our happiness, we have joy that can permeate our circumstances. There's a saying I heard maybe 10 years ago that we're either in what is it we're either in a trial or just got out of a trial or we're about to go into a trial. So those are the three stages of life. 
right? You're either in the midst of a challenge, or you just got out of one, or you're about to go into another one. And so we can carry the riches of that joy with us for the rest of our lives. A lot of people who don't put their faith in Christ, they don't have that. So Paul compares Ishmael's persecution of Isaac to the false teachers persecuting the people in Galatia. Ishmael, as you remember, mocked Isaac or persecuted Isaac at his three-year-old banquet. And the Judaizers were persecuting believers in the churches of Galatia who were trying to live by the power of the Spirit. So they were living in the flesh, and they're persecuting those in Galatia who were trying to live according to the Spirit. And that's just kind of the way it works, right? Ishmael, the flesh, caused problems for Isaac, the Spirit, just as our old nature causes problems for us when we put our faith in Christ. When we put our faith in Christ, now we're people of faith, and the flesh does not like the faith. And so those Ishmaels in our life, it's either ourselves, or the world, our family, our co-workers, our neighbors, whatever that might be, attack when we put our faith in Christ. And that's okay, because that makes us wealthy as well. Check it out. Check out Matthew 5.10. <laughs> right? The Sermon on the Mount. Hey, church, blessed are those of you who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. You're blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. So if you're experiencing some persecution, right on. If you're not, that's not good either. Let me wrap this up. I love this story. The story of Isaac and Sarah, Sarah and Isaac, and then Hagar and Ishmael. Which story is more compelling to you, the Ishmael-Hagar story or the Isaac-Sarah story? By a mile, right? Isaac and Sarah, it's like, wow, how did God do that? You know, nearly dead. People of faith, where Isaac's faith didn't waver for all those years, even though there's hope against hope. There's no chance, essentially. It's such a compelling story when we understand what God did with Abraham and Sarah by their son Isaac. And so it begs the question, how much, how often do we recognize and know and worship the God of Isaac and Sarah and Abraham? Or do we tend to be more in the flesh and just notice the God of Ishmael and Hagar? It's just a compelling question. We'll put up these last two verses. John 3, 3. Jesus answered, and we just read this earlier. He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does born again mean? What's another way of saying that? It's probably in your Bibles. Born from above. Unless we're born from above and put our faith in Jesus Christ who came from above to die for us, we have no part with God. There's nothing we can do down here that can put us in right standing with God. We must be born from above. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Many, many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And what will he say? I never knew you. Depart from me. Me, uh, those of you who practice lawlessness. It's nothing, there's nothing we can do, even in the name of Jesus Christ. The thing we must do is put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
nothing we can do. We'll have no part with Him outside of putting our hope and our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ because our flesh can never do anything to earn our way into heaven. Amen? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. If you need prayer from our prayer team, they're available down here in this corner after the service. While I pray, I'm just going to take a moment to give you an opportunity to commit your life to Jesus Christ if you haven't done so already. Okay, we'll just do that quietly. All right, and then I'll close this in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for any thoughts that we have that we can earn our way back to you. You know we can't. and You gave us the law to prove to us that we can't so that we would aspire and desire and want Christ so that we can be back in a relationship with you. Thank you for showing that to us, Lord. Thank you for loving us and pursuing us by sending your Son for us. We need Jesus Christ so desperately. If you have not committed your life to Christ, just have a conversation with God about that. Say, Lord, I need Jesus in my life. I'm trying to do it on my own. And I recognize that I can't. I recognize that you sent your son to die for me so that I can be back in a relationship with you. I can be declared righteous. I can have life. You will put your spirit inside of me. Lord, I give my life to you and I thank you for the price that Jesus paid on that cross for me. God, we love you. We thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians that we can continue to learn and grow because of it. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday. Enjoy the game. Good to see you guys. Lord bless you. Thanks for coming.